It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. Heroic Tales. Uh, this is, I don't know what installment this is, but I'm starting to get up there. I don't know, like around five or so. And this one has the name 300 Proven. So if you know scripture, then you could guess at what uh, tale this is talking about. But it's the story of Gideon. Gideon, the harnessed man of valor. So he's a fascinating character, too, uh, in the Old Testament. And he has a, a name, Jerubael, which isn't uh, necessarily uh, the name that we know him as, but... Uh, so it says in Judges 7, then Jerobael, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. So we've skipped the whole beginning of the story where Israel is literally hanging in the balance. They're, doing, they're, they're just not a healthy country at this time, and they're living in hiding and in fear, and all of their crops have been plundered from them, and... So they're, they're not a fighting nation, they're a fearful nation, and right at this exact juncture, God speaks to Gideon and asks Gideon to rise up, basically, and, and put together an army and to stand against the Midianites. It's a totally ridiculous uh, concept, truly, unless it's God that is asking him to do it, and so he even wants proof of that, and so that's where you get the fleece story, and he's like, you got to be kidding, <laughs> you actually want me to do this? And so it's, it's quite a story, the fact that Gideon actually is willing to do this, that God chooses Gideon, that Gideon rises up and does this. And so now we're at this very interesting juncture where 32,000 men come out to respond to this call, to fight against the Midianites. Now, the Midianites are in the multiple hundreds of thousands in their ranks, and Israel has no fighting force at the time. So 32,000 men are going to come out. But just imagine if you're from Israel or if you're Gideon and you're looking at how many you have compared to how many the Midianites have. And you're weak without weapons, without sustenance and strength. I mean, even to eat is a big deal for the Israelites, let alone to fight. And so they're in an extremely weakened state and 32,000 come out. So they already look tremendously weak. That's like one fighting against, let's say, seven. Uh, or I don't remember what the number actually turned out to be if it was one against 10. And that's at 32,000, okay? So the odds are just stacked against them to start with. So it says, uh, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. I mean, there's 32,000 of them, uh, Gideon, way, way too many. Uh, the odds are way too much uh, in your favor uh, because you have one against every 10 Midianites. I mean, that's way, way too good of odds for you. So, uh, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, claim, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned. I mean, that wasn't a wise thing. It's like, well, God, this is a very bad idea. You just scared away 22,000 of our 32,000. And so, I mean, they're immediately eliminated down to 10,000 
against this multitude because of that. I mean, who is fearful and afraid? And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. I mean, well, we have way too many here. Uh, We have 10,000. And bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. And so he brought the people down to the water And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the odds that God is creating obviously should stand out to us that he is, seems to deliberately be going out of his way to eliminate this army, to get it down to the most improbable levels where there's no way man can take credit for it. Okay? I, don't, I don't know if any of you have ever felt that in your life where God seems to purposely make life a little more challenging for you so that he gets the glory when you overcome as opposed to you. So there's an interesting dimension to this, and that is his test. And his test seems to be whoever laps like a dog, uh, those are the ones you keep. Whoever basically plants their face in the water, uh, those are the ones you you nix. Now, at first, in my mind, I'm going to say the first one, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as the dog, you shall set apart by himself. It's like, yeah, God's going to get rid of those. Because in my mind, that is the equivalent of getting down on your face, on your hands and knees, and and licking from uh, the bowl, the dog bowl, right? So the river. So there seems to be some kind of river here. And the test is, all right, you send your 10,000 to go get a drink. So let's start with the presumption that they're probably really, really thirsty. And so how they handle this river is going to prove if they are ready to join God's army. And I'm going to at least help you out here because as far as I'm concerned, the translation or however it's, it's written to us in our American mindset doesn't translate well. I don't know if you guys ever feel that when you read that. It's like, what? It laps like a dog. Why is God choosing those? And what is the difference between that and uh, the, the, the men who get down on their knees to drink water? So let me give you the illustration. You have the river. And these men are thirsty. So they come running down. It's like, you could just see Gideon. It's like, all right, go get a drink of water. And God's going to prove and separate out the 300 from the 9,700. And so what's the difference? Well, some of them are going to just plant their face in the water and start guzzling. And there's going to be others that are going to remain circumspect and keep their eyes on the enemy. And so they're going to pick up water like this and lap it like a dog. Now, that's not the way we would say it. We'd say they just drank from their hand. However, when they're drinking from their hand, they're maintaining a watchfulness. When they're planting their face in the water, they're losing circumspection, so they don't see what's around them. So the issue is one, I'm going to just pin it, of self-control. You see, when you are in control you maintain a constancy of alertness to the fact that there is an enemy that wants your soul. In this case, 
you have hundreds of thousands of Midianites that want to kill you. This is hostile territory. And these men that plant their face are thinking more about their own gratification than they are about understanding that they are being assigned to be protectors of a nation. And so as a result, they lose their composure. They lose their sense of circumspection or to see what is around them by planting their face in the water, whereas those that lift it up actually can maintain sight. And God says, take those that have the circumspection, that actually are not ruled by their appetites, take them over here, and we're going to use them. So it's just a fascinating case study because God it actually says God is going to test them for Gideon. He is going to prove them. And this is how he chooses to prove them. Now, in our language, lapping like a dog sounds more like what the second guys are doing, which is to stick their face in the water, which is why it's confusing for us. However, it actually means to bring that water to your mouth, and that's the ones that God says, these are the ones I want in my army. So for all of us, I don't know how you feel if you're a part of a big crowd of 10,000, and God's saying, I'm looking for some warriors. Now, the odds that are stacked against the ones that will be chosen are so monstrous. In other words, there's hundreds of thousands of Midianites, and there's going to be 300 Israelites. The odds are terrible. And so I'm not sure if you really want to be a part of the 300. And yet there is a part of us that's like, I really want to be one that God chooses, that passes whatever test this is. And so it's the river test. And when you have something in front of you that you crave, that you desire, how do you appropriate it? How do you approach it? And how you approach that riverbed in your life defines your readiness to participate in the commission of God in this generation. That's just how I would say it. In other words, what do we learn from this story? But we learn that God sets apart those that are willing to approach that river a certain way. And that's the way I want to approach it. I, I, I recognize that it sounds like a ridiculous thing. It almost seems better to be sent home in this situation. How about we just drink poorly and get sent home? And yet, None of us wants to be the one that is excluded from the grand story that is about to follow. So the secret of the 300, I'm going to call it self-control. Now when I say the words self-control, we have ideas of what that means. Uh, it's like a little kid. Little kids need self-control. And they need self-control from, you know, saying, Mama, Mama, when are we going to leave? It's like, hey, little Bart, you need to have self-control, Right? And so we oftentimes don't see the value of self-control as we get older. The same is true with patience. And I, I taught you a little bit about patience the other day, where it's this notion that it's like a little kid thing that you have to have. You need patience, you need self-control when you're a little kid. But as you get older, I mean, those, those things are just built in, right? Well, far from uh, true. These are attributes of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit desires to build inside of us. So it's a very, very significant and important concept. So in the Greek language, the word is egreteia, and this is going to fall into that uh, fruit of the Spirit category. So when the Holy Spirit moves inside of a man or woman, he is going to build certain qualities. And one of them is egreteia, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and egreteia. He actually desires to cultivate this inside 
of his people. And so this is a supernatural attribute. When we first look at the list, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we're thinking, oh, I can whip those up. And that's before we really understand how the kingdom of heaven works. You cannot, if you're a branch, just bear grapes. Just because you esteem grapes, you have to give up your identity and be grafted into the vine, and then the sap, the living sap of that vine needs to come inside of you, and as you remain attached and and abiding in that vine, you will bear fruit, but it is a supernatural work of that very sap inside of that vine entering you and doing what sap does inside of a branch. And that's what we need. We need sap inside of us. We need something working inside of us. And what it produces, ironically, is self-control. So that when you have a river in your life and Gideon says, go, go get a drink. And you recognize that God is paring down his army. He's looking for men and women in this earth that are ready to go to battle, that are ready to do his bidding. However, he tests us at the river. And so how do you appropriate that river? I mean, you're really thirsty. I remember uh, in soccer training camp, I mean, there were times when, I mean, I thought I was going to die if I didn't get water. And so when you finally get the opportunity for a water, you know, those little Dixie cups that, you know, they just sort of scrunch, you like throw them in your mouth, you, you crumple it, because that's just what you do as an athlete, and you throw it down, you grab another one, and you throw it in, and you crumple it, you get another one. I mean, it's like you're fighting. Someone else is reaching for your Dixie cup, you're like knocking them out of the way, and you're taking the Dixie cup. You know how hard it is to come to that moment and let everyone else scarf down the water and to be patient. It's like, you've got to be kidding. To show self-control at a time like that, there's no reasonable uh, idea that we could ever expect an athlete to do that. We're thirsty. We're craving water. We need it now. And yet, this is what proves the man. Right here, you're tested at the river. And so how we appropriate that is very, very significant. So the Egretean growl, there is a side to us that is meant to be brought to life by the Holy Spirit. And it is a side to us that brings control over this body. God desires this body to actually not rule us, but for us to rule it. And to rule your body, you need to know the authority of Jesus. And I'm going to go into this in in a little greater detail as we progress here. And you need to know how to wield the authority of Jesus over your body so that your body doesn't push you around. It doesn't say, must have. And then you go, oh, I guess I must have. But you learn to tell your body, no. Will have in due time. Will have in due time. In other words, you have patience mixed with this thing known as self-control. That you are not ruled by your impulses and your desires, but you're actually ruled by the Holy Spirit. So if you, if you study Gettysburg, one of those famous uh, quotes is, Buford, hold the high ground. And so this is in the Civil War. And in every battle, there is high ground. And if you can rule the high ground, well, you, you're going to win the war. And because a defensive position is always stronger than trying to go on the offensive, to dig yourself in and hold off a spot is actually easier. It's harder to try and take territory than it is to keep it. You have been given something in your life, high ground. You are the chosen location of battle. God has purchased you, and the enemy wants to take you. And so you'd become the very center of this grand adventure. 
And so as a result, you need to recognize it's sort of like something's whispering in your soul, Buford, take the high ground. In other words, you need to take the territory that God has given you. And this is the idea of self-control. You cannot allow the devil to rule here in this body. He has no business. He has no legal right to it. This is purchased by the blood of Jesus. So you need to have the growl. You need to exert the authority of the cross. And that's what we do in faith so that we boot out the devil. But you in and of yourself do not have power to boot out any more than a little lamb does against a wolf pack. However, that little lamb, if he has a shepherd, is able to command those wolves back. And that's the way you are. You're a little lamb with an almighty shepherd. And so you say, in the name of my shepherd, (laughs) get out of town. In other words, you have authority and you need to know how to wield it. Your little lambness is not what's going to scare away the wolves. It's his shepherdness. So when the Egretean growl goes missing, if we're losing this, if we miss this in the church of Jesus Christ, bad things happen. So he that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. So there's no walls to a city. Well, guess what? The enemy controls. If there's no guard up, if there is no rule over a man's spirit, well, then the devil has the upper hand. See, there's supposed to be rule over our lives. How do we rule inside our own lives? Is it even possible? So there's a whole bunch in Christianity today that would even speculate. It's like, I don't think this is even possible. And I would say the entire Bible clarifies the Old Testament sets a pattern, the New Testament demonstrates how it works. That there, yes, there is a way in which a man is to bring order and authority to this life. It starts by repenting and believing in Jesus Christ yielding to Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves into this body and takes over this man and gives the man authority in the name of Jesus to now dictate, and as Paul says, bring your body into subjection. You see, God has a desire for this body, for your thoughts, for your emotions, for your impulses, for your longings, and yet, if you're pushed around by them, well, you will be like a city without walls. However, if you learn how to submit to the Holy Spirit and bring command into your body, well, guess what? When you get to that river, you have restraint. You remember that there's an enemy that wants to destroy you. And so, as a result, even though it takes a little more work, you're going to raise the water to your mouth as opposed to plant yourself like an animal in the water. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. That's a truth in the book of James. You know how depressing that would be if that was the final conclusion? No man can rule the tongue. So it's like, well, I might as well say whatever I want to say then because it says in the book of James that no man can rule the tongue. It is an unruly evil, which means it is unable to be ruled. It is unruly. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Well, Boy, talk about a miserable future that all of us have, if that's the hope that we have. No man can rule it, but I can introduce you to a God that can. And so when you look at Pentecost, you're going to see something that happens that is very profound. And that is, the fact of the matter is, no man can rule the tongue, but God is coming in and grabbing tongues so that he can now rule them. 
So one of the signal qualities to a Christian is the fact that their tongue is under control. So no longer does their tongue just wag and say whatever it wants to say. It now is harnessed and brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. So this is still a true a truth. You can't control your body. It could just as easily say, no man can tame his sexuality. It could say that. No man can tame his appetite. It could say that. In other words, in and of yourself, you do not have the ability to restrain yourself beyond just human restraint. There, when you are tempted by the devil, you do not have the answer to that stronger force coming upon you. It's not willpower. It's not grit and determination that will win the day. It is something that has to be stronger than that which is coming against you. And that has been supplied you, and his name is the Holy Spirit. A church without self-control. Could you imagine what that place would be like? Uh, that'd be a pretty dark zone to be in. Is a church vulnerable to faction, division, and contention? I don't know if you've ever hung out in a church where there are people in it that lack control. So as a result, they just sort of say whatever's coming to their mind. They gossip around. And there's, I mean, there's all sorts of problems in that church. Division, faction, contention. A Christian without self-control. You can imagine what that would be like is the devil's tool of choice for invading and destroying the church. So if the devil wants to come in and destroy a church, what's he going to look for? A Christian that lacks self-control. Why do you think Gideon is going to only use the 300 that have control? Because this is what makes up a solid army. You see, if you lack control, it brings all sorts of problems into the body of Christ. So if you lack the, the discretion and the ability to stop talking when you should stop talking. You're going to say things you shouldn't say. It's going to bring division. It's going to bring harm, hurt. So a husband without self-control is often perverted, angry, domineering, and violent. A wife without self-control is often lacking discretion, gossiping, slandering, manipulative, and nagging. And I could just say... Women don't marry that first guy, and guys, you don't want to marry the second on the list. I mean, those are, those are literally the, what makes the, the worst marriages right there. And what's interesting is it comes down to this issue of control. And without the Holy Spirit, you are extremely vulnerable to a miserable marriage. When you have the Holy Spirit, you are actually setting up something profound. Because if both individuals submit, it doesn't mean that we won't have our moments where we jump ahead of God and, or plant our face in the brook and, and drink. However, the overall tenor of our life is completely different than this. A father without self-control is often harsh, overreactive, enraged, and abusive. A mother without self-control is often unstable, meddling, overprotective, and indiscreet with her children's secrets. A man without self-control is often a sexually polluted, rage-filled mess. A woman without self-control is often a loose-tongued, meddling, manipulative mess. Now, I'm sure that we can blend all sorts of things together. You know, some of that is stereotypic, yes, but at the same time, some of it is just the way it is. And so, this is just unhealthy. We don't want to go in this direction. Self-control. First, what it is not. See, when we think of self-control... Here's what we think. Me controlling myself. Why would we think that? Well, because the word self-control makes it sound like self is controlling itself. And so here's what's challenging is there's a part truth in it, but that's not what self-control is. 
So first, what it is not, it is not self attempting to control itself. It's not you saying, okay, I'm going to control my thought life. I'm going to control my sexuality. I'm going to control my appetites. I'm not going to plant my face in the river. And yet, what you find yourself doing when it's humanly contrived and it's humanly determined is you end up planting your face in the river. It's like the law gives sin its power, and all you're doing is giving yourself law. I cannot do this. I cannot do this. I cannot do this. But you don't have the power to do it. So as a result, you end up being your worst enemy in the process. So Colossians talks about this. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So you have this indulgence of the flesh, and when you try and put up rules for yourself to keep, okay, I'm not going to touch, I'm not going to taste, I'm not going to handle, it does nothing to change the fact that you still are controlled by the flesh. You actually have to be born anew and to live in a new functionality called the Holy Spirit. It's no longer a life ruled by the flesh, it's a life ruled by the Holy Spirit. And so if you try in your flesh to discipline yourself, you will fail. But if you humble yourself and acknowledge your dependence upon Jesus Christ and say, God, take over this body and rule it the way only you can, you find that the flesh is dealt with, and as a result, you don't need rules. Now you have love as your means of making decisions. You're ruled by a higher principle. Self-control, now what it is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, first and foremost, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is what it is. This is something that is born in your life when you focus on Jesus Christ and abide in him. So this is a derivative, an outflow of something that comes from his life in you. It is not something that you just try and work up. It is something that God grows in you by faith. So one of my illustrations for it is a boxing ring. Now, for some of you, that might not be a very attractive uh, metaphor or illustration. But for me, it, it works uh, really well. And that is, if we had, uh, the stage was the boxing ring, and Eric Ludi is this little dwarfish character, little skinny guy, and, got, and I get the law, and it says, rule your ring, Eric. I want all impurity, all unholiness, all unrighteousness booted out. I want it to be perfect and pure. This is what the law says. So the law is declaring what my boxing ring needs to be like. And so little puny Eric is like, okay. And I have, you know, a, a resolve to do it. However, there's a problem in my ring. And that is there's this huge, gigantic behemoth. He's about six foot eight tall. He's about six foot eight inches wide. And he is monstrous. He stinks, he smells, and he is muscular and strong. He's known as the Flash. And he controls this ring. So though I desire to kick out that which is impure, though I desire to kick out that which is unrighteous, I don't have the ability to overcome my flesh. So right when I try and move against my flesh, the flesh poof, knocks me and I go flying out in the bleachers. I do not have the power to overcome him. So as a result, though I mean well, I don't have the ability to do it. So what happens when self-control arrives is it's God basically bringing 
control to my body. So imagine what it's like. I'm black and blue, nose, it's sort of, you know, cockeyed. I have black eyes and, you know, I'm just up against the ropes and I'm weak and the flesh is ha, 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 laughing. And then Jesus steps in. He's like, Eric, do you want me to come in? Please. You see, when Jesus steps into the ring, the flesh turns like white as a sheet. And he recognizes he has power over me, but he does not have power over my Savior. So then, here's the secret. Jesus comes in and he says, here, rest your arm on my arm. And he says, now I want you to swing. And so, boom, we hit the devil, we hit the flesh in the authority of Jesus Christ, in the authority of our Savior. It is still an agreement point with us. God has given us everything we need to bring order to this ring, but we need to use his muscle to do it, not ours. When we try and fight this battle in our strength, instead of in the strength of the living God, we will fail. So, the illustration I want you to understand is this. God has given us authority to kick out the enemy, to boot him out of the ring. So when you take Jesus' meaty fist and knock the enemy, he goes, whew, 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 I mean, miles into the, the bleachers. There's bleachers miles away. And he's like laying upside down, you know, Tweety Birds over his head. And that's literally what we have the authority to do. However, we need to recognize that he is going to get back up out of those bleachers, brush himself off, and start moving back towards your ring. He doesn't like this at all. And so here's the other thing. The, one of the other translations for uh, egretea, which is self-control as we know it, is a word called temperance. Now, temperance is a very different sounding word than self-control. And if you know what the word temperate means, it's like controlled temperature. It's like 70 degrees always inside of this room, and so that's a temperate environment. And so San Diego is a temperate climate. It's about always the same. Every day is right around 65 to 70, right? And so what God intends for us is for us to be the same temperature always, not too hot towards the world and not too cold towards God. In other words, the right temperature where we are engaged with God with warmth, but we don't get warm towards the world or cold towards him. In other words, there's this right temperature that he desires to establish in our life. And so one of the ways you could look at temperance is it's like an alarm system. If the enemy ever tries to move in, like he, he puts his hand on the, on the rope to get in the boxing ring, and he's going like this, the moment he sticks his hand on the rope, there's an alarm that goes off. And if you listen to that alarm in your soul, you're recognizing that the Spirit of God is giving you an alert that something is trying to move against your soul. It's the same thing, and I've told you about this, is that in a winter day, uh, like this morning, I walk out of my room and I'm like, hmm, it's, it's cold out, right? This morning it was around 30 out. And so I'm like trying to discern if there's any windows open. And so Eric is like the, the built-in uh, draft uh, analyzer in the Ludi home. And we were fine this morning, but every morning I'm walking out trying to figure out if there's a draft anywhere because I could just picture our heating bill going berserk uh, in a day like this. And so the same is true with our life. We walk out, wake up in the morning, and... We're checking for drafts. Is there anything in my life that would allow the devil in? Okay? All right. You see, it's temperance. God has given us alarm system. So what Egretea is, is the power and the authority to kick out the devil 
But get this, and to keep them out. It's not just to kick them out, it's to keep them out. It's an entire alarm system. It's built into the Christian's life so that we can discern when the enemy is attempting to make a move against our life. Aha! And then you take Jesus' meaty fist again and knock him afresh. He has the fresh Tweety Birds uh, over his head. So the two operations of self-control, kick out and keep out. You see, this is how we live as Christians. It's not just that we kick out a whole bunch of junk in our life. It's that we learn to live with it kept out. We don't have seasons where we kick it out and then we go back uh, to this behavior. We actually kick it out and we learn to keep it out. What a wonderful concept. But what's getting kicked out? So the first thing that's getting kicked out, if you could say this, is capital S self. You see, capital S self is a huge problem for us. Self, which is just you, is not the problem. It's when you take a position that is not rightfully yours. So remember that throne in your life where your derriere just happens to be very attracted to it and you really want to sit on it? For whatever reason, we're very attracted to that throne. We want this life to be ours. And so there's our problem, capital S, self. And so the first thing that that self-control is going to do is it's going to dethrone us. And it's going to put us in our proper position. We are butlers of this estate. We are not the masters of the estate. However, we're not absent from the estate. We're still participants in this grand adventure, but it's in a lowercase s state. And so as a result, we are servants in this. And so the first thing that is getting kicked out is the concept of capital S self. It's like, nope, that cannot remain in this life. You are not the ruler of this body. Jesus is. So you need to give him his proper place. Second, self is empowered to give the boot. Uh, so I need to, you need to have like a lowercase s on that because otherwise it's going to confuse you. That's supposed to be a lowercase s. So now that you've been given a lowercase s position, well then what are you going to do? Now you have the ability to give, uh, to give authority to self. And this is where self-control comes in. It's self being empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually exercise the authority over the body. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain, and every man that strives for the mastery is egratumai in all things, is self-controlled, is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air, but I keep my body under, or I bring my body into subjection, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So here Paul is saying the exact same thing. So look, I'm supposed to be egretumai in all things. I'm supposed to be self-controlled. In every moment of my life, there is a proper harness on me. And so what we see in the Gideon story is we see that God is saying, all right, I'll test him down by the river. And those that are proven are those that actually show restraint instead of indulgence. And so for all of us, here's what I'm going to say. You have an opportunity today to allow God to exercise self-control in you. I don't want you to try and whip it up in your own strength. I don't want you to try and dominate your impulses and your appetites just in your own human power. I want you to submit to the God 
who can bring them under subjection. However, when you step down from that throne and say, God, this is your body. No longer am I going to rule the roost. Then he gives you authority to actually command your body. So you have the authority of Jesus Christ to actually bring order to this body, to bring it under subjection. So I want you to think of the different areas in your life where today you need to freshly exert that. Because it's one thing to know that you have authority. It's another thing to use it. And so for each of us today to just freshly recognize, it could be appetite, like our, how we eat. It could be our sexuality. It could be our thoughts. There's various things in our life that actually try and gain the upper hand even though they have no legal right to do it. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need to live in this body the way he intended you to live. The key points of control in the body, tongue control, eye control, thought control, appetite control. Just imagine if you recognize that you could exert this authority that you have with your tongue. That you don't need to always say those things that get you in trouble. It's like, oh boy, there I went, I did it again. But you don't have to do that. And so you don't need to listen to the devil who says, yep, I guess that's just your personality. You're just one of those talkers that always says those things that get you in trouble. It doesn't mean you need to fail the next time you go to the river. You need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is your body. This is your tongue. And I agree with you and what you did on that cross. And I am going to submit this tongue to you. And I ask that you would set it on fire with the fires of heaven so that it no longer is causing harm, but actually supplying love. I control. I, I can't tell you how many guys in this world don't think that they have any control over where they look. Now, I understand how that works. I mean, it's a weird thing. Your eyes are magnetically pulled in different directions, and it does seem like they're more powerful than you. However, that's true of a man that is not filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, a man with the Holy Spirit actually has power to bring his body, or in this case, his eyes, into subjection. Thought control. We are not to be subservient to our thoughts as if they had the upper hand. We actually have been given grace to bring order to our thoughts and appetites, which is, of course, in the story of Gideon, that's actually the, the symbol that is being shown. Well, let's pray as we uh, close today just that we would be sensitive to what the Spirit of God would desire as far as an application personally. Father, I just ask that you would find us ready to be proven at the river. Lord Jesus, if there's going to be a river set before us today, Lord, I pray that we would learn to walk submitted, subjected to you so that we can exert the authority of the cross to bring our bodies into subjection. That we would not be ruled by impulse, that we would be not, be, not be ruled by feelings, but that we would be ruled by truth, by you. Lord, take us, use us, fill us. We love you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. 
Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.